All right, we're learning Daf Yudalif, and we're continuing expounding all the Pesukim in the Megillah, and uh, we're starting six or seven lines down where the Pasuk says, So the king took off his ring, his special ring, and this was a sign that he was giving to Haman that Haman was in control. So Amar Abba Barakhan, Rabbi Abba Barakhan says, This act, when Achashverosh took off his ring, had a greater impact. It shook up uh, the nation and returned them to Tshuva more than all the 48 different Nevi'im and the seven different Nevi'os who prophesied for Kali Yisrael. All the Nevi'im and the Nevi'os, they weren't able to get Kali Yisrael to do Tshuva, even though they motivated them, but it wasn't on the same level as Achashverosh's removal of his ring. The dread, the anxiety which Kali Yisrael had at that point, just removal of the ring, was able to inspire Kali Yisrael on so much of a greater level. So the Gemara is trying to say, in a dramatic level, that this is what uh, inspired the Jews to do Shishuva. Obviously, they had the fast day, to give off the ring is something very unusual. It's a sign of Achashverosh's total trust in whatever Haman wanted. And that is specifically what shook up Kla Yisrael uh, to such a great degree. So now the Gemara continues here, and we just we just were mentioning how there are forty-eight Nevi'im and seven seven Nevi'os. So now we're going to talk about this a little bit more, and we're going to talk about the way it relates to Perm. So Tanur Rabbanon Arba Rishmon Nevi'im Seven Nevi'os Nami Yisrael. We had forty-eight prophets, seven different women prophets who prophesied. They never added or subtracted from anything that's in the Torah. Right? That's one of the fundamental principles called Baltosif, right? That we're not supposed to add to anything that it that it says in the Torah. So they didn't add any new things to the Torah. Um, and even all the halakhas that they did are just uh, are just protecting what it says in the Torah. There are no new takanas. Like sometimes Chazal will make Xerah or Din Midravanan, but those are all to protect what it says in the Torah. They're not just coming to add. The only thing that they added, they instituted a new mitzvah called reading the Megillah, the mitzvah of Purim. And that's something which just doesn't have a source in the Torah, it seems. There's no explicit source. And that's a brand new mitzvah which which they which they were the, the Nevi'im were misaking. Again, this is the time of Nevuah still. Megillah says it's the very end of the Megillah. Very end of Nevuah. Right in right the, the Nevuah ended about forty years into the second way of So this is the tail end of Nevuah when Megillah's Esther is instituted. So this is the lad, the only thing that the Nevi'im really added to the Torah. Now Rashi's bothered by the obvious question, what about the mitzvah of, of Hanukkah? Isn't that also a new mitzvah? It's not protecting anything in the Torah, it's just a new mitzvah. But the answer is, is that that wasn't from the Nevi'im. Um, that came post the Nevi'im. So Rashi seems to be saying that the Gemara is focusing only on the things that the Nevi'im themselves were misshocking. So the only mitzvah that the Nevi'im added was the reading of the Megillah every year on Purim. So the Gemara now wants to know, my darsh, what do they interpret? Meaning like, you have to see some sort of source. It seems that the Gemara is bothered. Again, you're not supposed to just um, add a mitzvah. So it seems that the simple shot in the Gemara is that there has to be some source in the Torah for the institution, for the rabbis to do this, because otherwise the argument can be made that we don't just add on mitzvahs to the Torah. So there must be some sort of source that we can find for why the rabbis would add on this mitzvah Megillah. So Rabbi of our Abba, Rabbi Shuv and Karcha, they made a kavachomer. Kavachomer is, when the Jews were saved from the land of Mitzrayim, they went from avdus to cheros, they went from slavery to freedom, so that, that motivated them to, song, to, to sing. There was a whole shira by the Yam, um, and that refers to at least either either the, the, the Az Yashir or the Hala that we say on Bezach. Either way, 
there's there's a din that we're supposed to publicly thank Hakadosh Baruch Hu for the nace that we have from Yitzias Mitzrayim, and even that it wasn't that our life was saved; it was just that we experienced freedom. So and surely we have to commemorate Purim because Purim, if we were there was a threat of annihilation, was a greater threat. So certainly there should be a mitzvah of Purim where we have a public reading in the Megillah that speaks about the way that we were saved. So it was a kavachomer. We're using a basis. We're using the Torah to expound that there's a mechayev for the mitzvah of Purim. So it's not just randomly that the Rabbanon were mesak in the mitzvah without baseless and baseless way without any source from the Torah. No, it was coming from the dinam of the Torah, from the things that we see that they do in the Torah, that we think HaKadosh Baruch Hu uh, for saving us from freedom, so all the more so we have to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for saving us from the threat of annihilation. It says the Gemara, So why don't we have a Mechaev to say Hal? Right? Halo normally we say whenever we're saved. So shouldn't we be saved, right? If we were saved, shouldn't we be saying halal? It seems appropriate to that. And the reason why we could say that is that now we're coming off of the halal that they did by uh, Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That's the whole Machayev, right? The whole reason why we have a new mitzvah reading the Megillah is that we're learning from Kali Yisrael singing after they were saved from Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So all the more so that we have to sing on Purim. Okay, so you could read the Megillah. That can function in a certain sense that we're thinking about Kodesh Baruch But where's the Iker halal? The Gemara is asking such a fundamental question. Why is halal absent from the mitzvah of Purim? So the Gemara says, "Lefishi no halal nature b'chutz laaretz." Halal is instead of Purim because we don't say halal for a miracle that occurred outside Eretz Yisrael. The Iker and Yisim are supposed to be in Eretz Yisrael, so there's something almost like bittersweet about the fact that we're having a miracle outside Eretz Yisrael, and that's why it doesn't warrant a halal. Frank the Gemara, what about Yitzias Mitzrayim? Yitzias Mitzrayim, the nature b'chutz laaretz echem yinuchira. The Yitzias Mitzrayim was a miracle outside of Eretz Yisrael, so why are we singing uh, the song for that? I thought we just said that we don't uh, we don't have halal. We don't have halal on an ace that it's that it happens outside of Eretz Israel. So, so the Egyptian ace that happened outside of Eretz Israel. So the Gemara explains, get the time. It's like we see in a bride. Before Klai Israel entered Eretz Israel initially, when they were leaving Mitzrayim, then you could say halal in any place. Uh, wherever the miracle would occur, you could say halal. But this limitation, you only say it in Israel. It's only once they entered Israel. From the time that they entered Eretz Israel, from that point on, all the other lands are no longer appropriate setting to say uh to praise our Baruch Hu for a miracle that happens there so when we left in Tri-Aim, we're going to say we're going to say hollow because because that was um before Kali Yisrael entered Eretz Yisrael but from that point and on after we entered Eretz Yisrael then we're not going to say hollow for an ace that happens outside of Eretz Yisrael so that explains Purim happened outside of Eretz Yisrael once the people already entered the land that's why there's no hollow which is said says the Gemara second reason why we don't say hollow on Purim Rav Nachman Amar Kriyasa Zuhelila Reading the Megillah on Purim is itself a reason, it's equal to saying Hala. What is this idea? The idea is that reading the Megillah is like Hala because you're publicizing the miracle. That's the whole idea. You're causing everybody to think of Kodesh Baruch Hu. Rafutner famously says the idea is that Purim was a, uh, a hidden miracle, so commensurate to the way it was a hidden miracle, so the Hala is also hidden. We hide the Hala in the reading of the Megillah. That's the idea here. Kriyasa Zuhi Lula, very interesting idea of the Gemara. It's actually an interesting machlok as I showing him. So what happens if for whatever reason a person doesn't have Mikra Megillah? Should they in fact recite Hal? Is there really a key of Hal on Purim just for being Giyotze when we read the Megillah? So what happens if a person is not reading the Megillah? Should they then in fact actually say Hal? Says the Gemara, third reason why we don't say Hal. Rav Amar Bishlama Hasam Bishlama over there by Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim. Halu Avdeh Hashem. What does the Pasek say in Hal? Give praise the servants of Hashem. So people who are um, only subservient to Hashem, people who are not subservient to any other any other uh, kingship, they can say halal. You're no longer serving a power. You, they've been liberated. How could they say halal? What do you mean? They were still subservient to the Persian Empire. So in other words, even though they were saved from death, but they were still 
they were still under the regime of Ahasuerus, so therefore they couldn't really express themselves in Halal, because the words of Halal, Halal Avde Hashem, that they felt so close as being only slaves of Hashem, was not appropriate for them at that time. So bottom line is, we've had three answers here. One answer is that we don't say Halal, um, one answer is that uh, it, the, the halal is in the reading of the Megillah, and the third answer is that we can't say Avdei Hashem. So it says the Gemara, the Rabbah, the Rav Nachman, Kasha, going to both Rav and Rav Nachman, the last two reasons here, it's difficult. They both say that really perm justifies halal, it's just we have a reason we don't say it, either because we're still Avdei Hashem or because it's in the Mikra Megillah. What about the Brisa that we quoted? Why do they deal with the Brisa that we quoted before? That we don't say halal on a miracle that happens outside of the land of Israel. So once the Jews entered Israel, there's no longer going to be a halal that is recited outside on a miracle outside of Israel. So why like that? Why are they saying any other reasons when the Brisa clearly said like the first reason? So the Gemara explains, because once the Gullus occurred and Kleiser was exiled from their land, now every other land goes back to the original status and you say Hal even on, on Nesim Chutzlaretz. In other words, they hold that the rule that you don't say Hal on Nesim Chutzlaretz, that's only... That's only while Klal Yisrael was primarily in Israel. During that time, you don't say Hal on Chutzlaretz. But uh, if, 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 if there's a Gullus and now Klal Yisrael is sitting in the Persian Empire, well then at that, at that point, now we go back to the way it was back in the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, that we would in fact say Halal for a Nase that occurs in Chutzlaretz. Okay, so that concludes the discussion of what the Nevi'im uh, saw to be Misakin, the new Mitzvah Purim. They made the Kabbalah from Yitzhak Mitzrayim. There's still no Halal for the three reasons which the Gemara expressed. Now the Gemara is going to go off on a tangent here about the number of the prophets and, and the women, uh, female prophets. The Sulek, there are no more than 48 Nevi'im, so from there was a man, we're talking about Elkanah here, um, he was married to Elkanah, father of Shemuel, so it says that there's a man from Ramasayim Sofim. So what's Ramasayim Sofim? Elkanah Ramasayim Sofim, Shosayim Yisrael, we say that it's one of the 200 Ramasayim, Masayim is the number 200, and Reish also, Gematria is 200, so we say that it means one of the 200 prophets who was a Navi. So we see that in Elkanah's generation, there were 200 prophets. He was from a place 200 prophets. So what do we mean that in all of Jewish history combined, there's only 48? How do we understand that fact? So the Gemara explains, the reality is there were many more than 48. As we see homiletically in that drasha, there are so many more. We even see this in a price. The truth is that there were double the amount of those who left in Shrine. Those left in Shrine, 600,000. There were over a million of them throughout Jewish history. Only types of Nebuah that were written down is the ones that was necessary for future generations. They have a specific type of Musr that can inspire the future or some sort of teaching, something takeaway, some lesson that we learned from the Nebuah. But the, the things which were not needed were not recorded. They were only written down. So even though there were many more Nebuah, but only 48 of them had the special importance of having their divorce written down for forever. And that is what we mean when we say that there are only uh, there are only 48. And Rashi is very interesting. Rashi actually has a list here of the uh, of the of the 48 here. He goes through different possibilities. There's some mysteries in the number of the 48. Very interesting things here in Rashi. Says the Gemara, another interpretation, just once we were on the topic of Elkanah Minhara Masayim Tofim. So before our, we homiletically said that he was from uh, the place where there were over 200 Nevi'im. Now the Gemara says another He's from two different mountains that watch one another. In other words, he was from a place with two mountains that faced each other. Tofim means to watch, and Ramos means high mountains. Says the Gemara, third interpretation of Khan and Amar Adam He descended from people who were at the height of the world. He was a descendant of great people. Who are these great people that Elkanah came from? B'nai Korach, the children of Korach. So we know Korach rebellion, Korach dies, he's swallowed up. But what about the children of Korach? We see later on 
in the census in Parshas Penchas Bnei Korach don't die. So it's a fascinating thing. They don't die, and Elkanah descends from them, which means that Shmuel Hanavi is a descendant of Bnei Korach. Mishim Rabbeinu says the name of Rabbi Makom and his daughter began to Mishim a place was set up high for them again, and they were able to stand there. Meaning, the whole Indian is that really they were part of their father's rebellion, and the very end they were hero Bachuva. And the, the, the earth is, is opening to swallow everybody, but uh, to take them together, Hashem made a special, uh, like a haven, a place for them to stay, where they were saved from death. And it seems that they lived in Argamar, and that there are descendants from them, and that we have Elkanah uh, and Shmuel who come from them. Pretty amazing stuff. So that's an, a third interpretation that they come from Shtei Ramos, from the great people that Elkanah descends from the Bnei Korach. Now we talk about the, the seven female Nevi'im. So seven Nevi'os Maniu. Who are the seven um, Nevi'os? So Mar says Sarah, Miriam, Devorah, Chanah, Avigail, Chulda, and Esther. So now the Gemara goes through it. Sarah, we know that Sarah Mina was a prophet. They say that Avi Mokav, Avi Yiska, describing she was the father. We say the father of Milka and the father of Yiska is the Pasuk described. So who is this? From Rabbi Yitzchak, Yiska to Sarah. Rabbi Yitzchak said that Yiska is Sarah. I'm going to If she's really Sarah, why does she have this nickname? Why is she called Yiska? She was able to see. This goes is to see. Sacha to gaze, to look. She saw with Rucha Kodesh. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. This was in the dialogue between Akalash Baruch and Avram about sending away Yishmael. So Hashem tells Avram, whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her voice. And this is the idea that she's got this, like something special with her voice. She has a special Rucha Kodesh. Another interpretation about why she's called Yizka. Yizka, Shakos, Sochem, Everybody gazes at her beauty. She was so beautiful. Anyways, the Gemara has brought a proof that Sarah was a prophet. Says the Gemara, Miriam, it says that Miriam the Nevi'ah, the sister of Aaron, took. What did she take? She took the drum over here and she went out to sing. But it says that she was the sister of Aaron. So we darshan, Velochos Moshe, she not the sister of Moshe. Why is Sarah referring to her only as the sister of Aaron when in fact she was the sister of Moshe as well? There was something special about when she was only the sister of Aaron. Aaron was the older brother when Aaron married him and then Moshe. She was said something special, special Nebuah that she said at the time when she was only the sister of Aaron before Moshe was even born. For Omer, she said, I see the Imi in the future, my mother, she's going, my mother's going to have a child who will save Klai So She had a Nebuah about Moshe Rabbeinu being the future savior of Klai Yisrael. At the time Moshe was born, the whole house was filled with light. Her father stood, he kisses her right on the head. My daughter, look, your Nebuah has been fulfilled because Moshe Rabbeinu has been born and there's a great light in the home. But what happened was subsequently, when they threw Moshe into the river and it seemed like he had no future, her father rose and he hid her on the head. But he said to Miriam, my daughter, where is your prophecy? In other words, what's going on? So that's the meaning that the sister stood off in the distance to know. She came and she wanted to see what was going to know. Wanted to happen. It wasn't just a curiosity of what would happen to her brother. It was deeper than that. She wanted to know what would be with the end of her nevuah. Meaning she wanted to understand if Moshe would survive and save Klaisar the way that she had predicted would happen. The Gemara continues here. Devorah. This is from the Sefer Shoftim. She was a prophetess, the wife of Lapido, so black and white. In the Pasuk, it's explicit that she was in a via. We don't need any trasha. It's explicit. So now we just want to know about this Lapidos person. My Ashes Lapidos, what does that mean? Is that his name? What's the deal here, Lapidos? So the Gemara says, that, she, that means that she used to make wicks. 
um, and the word lapid is a torch. So lapidos means that she used to make the wicks for the mishkan that was in Shiloh. We continue darshaning. She sat under a, tom, a palm tree when she judged Klaizro, when she was against the view, and she would judge and tell them she did it under a palm tree. So the Mar asked, Why was it specifically under the palm tree? Why not a different tree? She did it carefully because of Yichud. She didn't want to transgress Yichud of being alone privately with a man. She didn't want to seclude herself. So she did it a palm tree. It's very, the branches are high. It's in an open area. And there's no issue of Yichud. Another interpretation why she wanted the palm tree. Because the palm tree always symbolizes Kla Yisrael in her generation. She wanted to inspire the people. Just as a palm tree has only one heart. Meaning... It seems that the, the sap in the palm tree is only the trunk. The sap of other trees goes into the branches as well, so it's just unique in the heart. There's only one heart for the Father the Father in heaven, and it's only very direct. They're not, uh, they don't have other branches of faith, so on and so forth. It's just direct that they're Iker and Muna to HaKadosh Now we move on to Chana. Chana, again, the wife of Chana, the mother of Shmuel. It says that she has a special song, Chana's song, with the Spal Chana. Chana prays, and she says, Allah to leave you by Hashem, my heart rejoices in Hashem, Rama Karni by Hashem, my horn is exalted in Hashem. So what's going on? She says, Rama Karni, Rama Pachi, she says, my horn is exalted, not my flask. So in other words, we're talking about um, the, the oil. Oil was used to anoint prophets and to appoint kings. Uh, the Shem and Hamishra. So oil can be can be kept in a, like a horn and in a flask. So she was telling us about a nevuah that she was saying as follows. And we see that when they were anointed as a king, the Pasuk says that Shmuel, that Shmuel take, took the horn of oil and he anointed him. By Shlomo also, it says that um, Sadok, Sadok took the um, the horn of oil and he, and he anoints Shlomo HaMelech. So since it was a karen that was used, it was specifically the horn of oil, therefore Nimshuch HaMachusa, and they had a long kingship. In other words, there was a kiyam, there was a lasting, um, there was something which could endure because it was all from the moment that they were installed as a, as a, as a king, they were Nimshuchu, they were anointed together with the, with the horn of oil. The Pasuk says that when they uh, were installed as king, there was a flask of oil, but not a horn of oil, and the rain did not last. So a very interesting thing, a flask is like a rain which will not last. What's the pshat? The Marsha says, because it's made of earthen which is easily breaks. Bashenki a horn is more durable, and therefore it's like a, a longer rain. That's the idea for the Marsha. Maybe there's deeper interpretations of what the horn is. But Akopanim, she was saying Ramakarni, and we see in that this deep nevuah that she's saying anyone who's going to be inaugurated with the oil that comes from the horn, not from oil that's in a flask, that's the malchus which will endure. So that's the way we see that Chana was, in fact, in Nevi'ah. Now we continue just expounding on her tefillah. She said, there's no one holy like God, there's no one besides you. Don't read B'l'techa, other than you. L'valoscha means to survive Hashem. What does that mean? No one can survive Hashem. It's not the nature of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so different than other human beings. So what happens is the work of his hands, they outlive him. Right? The king, he creates things and then they outlive him. His children outlive him, so on and so forth. It's the opposite of the spark who's everlasting, so he outlives the work of his hands. We continue, there's no rock like Hashem. So instead of saying tzor to mean a rock, we, we read it a little bit different. Ain't Sayar. A Sayar is an artist. There's no artist who is on the level of HaKadosh Baruch What is an artist? In the sense, Adam Sartzurah, Gabi goes a person, draws a figure on a wall, and you can't bring it to life. You can't give it breath, soul, and parts and intestines. You can't do that. 
shapes a form inside of a form, meaning he could, first of all, he can create a child inside of a mother. And when he does that, <coughs> not only is he painting the child, he gives a breath, soul, and all the parts and intestines. Let me continue to the next one, Avigail. What does it say about Avigail? She was riding on the donkey, and she came down on the, on the, on the quiet side of the, of the mountain. So just to understand a little bit of the background, there was David HaMalach, he's running away from Shaul, and he was kind of king, but he wasn't really, had been accepted. He's running away and, and running for his life, from away from Shaul. So David sent people to someone called Novo, who was very rich, and he wanted food for David and his men. But David uh, said, who is, but, but, but David was refused. Novo said, I'm not gonna give anything to you. So David was upset, and uh, they were gonna go kill him, because he was Morid Bamalfus, right? He was, he was, he was, um, he was being insubordinate to the king, so David really had the right to kill him. Avigail, was Novel's wife, so she brought a lot of food and she starts out to David to try to appease him not to kill her husband. So it says that she's coming on the opposite side of the mountain. So Cesar Minahar, by the way, what does it mean, this quiet side of the mountain? What is it? It's just what it said from the mountain. What's going on? What part of the mountain? What's going on here? So the Gemara explains that there's a deeper dialogue here. Amar Rabbi Rishmuel, Al Iske Dam that David had a meeting with Abigail about her blood, about her menstrual blood that comes from the hidden parts. What happened was, she took her blood, she was menstruating, and she showed it to David to get a psak halacha, whether or not, in fact, it was the wrong color, right? Certain shades make a woman in Ida, others do not. So she was showing him some sort of discharge, asking him if it made her tummy. So Amar Law, when it was at night, so David said to her, can I look at this at night? It's not nighttime, I can't see it well, so obviously I can't look at the blood. So Amar Law, she said to him, how can you judge my husband at night? You can't judge capital crimes at night. You can't do that. So how can you say to go kill David, Navel at night? So Amar Law, David responded, there's a big difference. Ahmed Bey is here, He was a Morib Bamalchus. When somebody rebels against the crown, you don't need to judge him in the regular way. You don't have to have a formal court case. The king can just decide off with his head. So Amrullah, Avigail responded, I died in Shaul Kaim, Velo Yalta Tavach She had a very, very important point that as long as Shaul was still alive and you're you're not clearly the king, even though you've already technically become the king, and he had, David already been anointed at that point. But since his Malchus hadn't yet spread, so Avigail was claiming that he didn't have the right to judge Novel without a formal court case, and therefore he couldn't do it at night. So Amrullah, David responded, Baruch Ami. Blessed is your reasoning. You prevented me from coming with bloods. You prevented me, the Pashim Shah would be that you prevented me from killing Novel. But Mara asked more, two things with blood, right? There's only one thing that that, that David, David didn't kill Novel, but what's this other thing that he was prevented from killing? What's the other blood? So the Gemara explains. What happened was that Abigail, when she was riding, she had revealed. Um, her her leg and uh, she didn't do this necessarily in a in a in an immodest way. She didn't realize that David was seeing, but David saw her exposed leg and he desired her. He had a very like strong desire for her, and he traveled three parcels together. So Amar La Shmili he said, "Listen to me." In other words, he, he wanted to have relations with her. So this should not be a stumbling block for you, and this connects the two bloods because. Um, she didn't. She was prevented from having relations with her while she was a, a nida, which is forbidden, and that's how it comes about. This whole thing with the nida is connecting her in the story because she was showing him the blood of the nida as a sort of excuse of why she couldn't have relations with him at this point. Anyways, after this whole story, how do we see that Abigail was a prophet? The answer is because she said this should not be a stumbling block. So we can infer Zos. This should not be a stumbling block. McLeod infers to Igachriti that there was another time when David would stumble. My Neil, what is that a reference to? My Sheva, the story with Bat Sheva, when David stumbled 
and he took her, and so she was actually um, giving foreshadowing that event with her Ruach HaKodesh. And that's the way it was. It's proof that she was a prophet. Now we talk more about this story. We expound on the dialogue in the Sokim. The soul of my master should be bound with the, the bond of life. So what in the world is going on here? So the Gemara says, When Avigai was leaving him, she said to him, You know, I want you to remember me. What does that mean? That, uh, you know, she, she, she saw that at one time, she was talking about herself, that maybe at one point she would marry David. Remember me. So the Gemara explains, This is what people say, When a woman talks, she's also spinning. What does that mean? You know, she's always... Even though she or she's speaking about novel, she's always mentioning something about herself. Eka the Amri others say, that he's saying that a goose stops where it goes, but its eyes are still looking afar. So in other words, she was really looking forward to the day down the line when she would be able in the future to marry David. And in fact, this did occur at one point. Abigail marries David. Now we talk about Chulda. Chulda. So this is just to understand what's going on in Melachim. So this is King Yoshua right at the end of the first base of Mikdash. They repaired the second base of Mikdash and basically what happened was is that he was doing a huge teshuva movement because they, the people were all devil are and they were bad. Yoshua's a little boy. He takes over. And what happened was they found, the Kohen Gadol found the Sefer Torah and it was open to the Chokhla and they needed someone to interpret it, what, they, what the message was. So they went, So it says they all went and they went to Chulda and Chulda was able to tell them the meaning of what the Sefer Torah was open to, how they needed to do Teshuvah, so on and so forth. So now the Gemara says, First the Gemara says, How was she allowed to prophesy? Like it should be like a, a, a disrespectful thing to Yirmiyah. Yirmiyah was clearly the Gadol, the greatest prophet of the generation, so wasn't it disrespectful for her to, to say a prophecy in front of Yirmiyah? So the Gemara answers, She was a relative of Yirmiyah, he didn't care. So if he didn't care, then everything's okay. Now the Gemara says, fine, that could explain how she was allowed to say that before. But Yoshia Gufe, for Yoshia himself, how was he allowed to leave Yirmiya and go send agents to Chulda? Isn't that, from the perspective of Yirmiya, of, of Yoshia, isn't that a disrespectful act? So the Gemara explains, Amit Abi Rav Shila, Vimnesha, Nashamachmani, of saying the idea is that women are more merciful than men. So the idea is that the Nevuah. Um, she would be able, after she would give the Nevoah, they were scared of the message, she would be able to comfort the people and perhaps give them an empowering and inspiring message as opposed to Yirmiya, who might just criticize them. So she want, so they wanted to go specifically to the woman. Says the Gemara, another answer, maybe Yirmiya wasn't there at all. Where was Yirmiya? At that time, he went back to bring back the ten tribes. Remember the story of the ten tribes? It was shortly before they were um, exiled from Israel by Sancheirev. About 130 years before the destruction of the temple. So Yirmiya now was on a mission to bring them back. How do we know that Yirmiya was successful to bring back the Asaras of Shatim to the land of Israel? Because the Pasuk says, It says that the seller should not return to the sale. So here we're talking about a Nevuah from Yechezkel, and he's talking about um, a very tail end of the first base of Mikdash. After Yechani was already exiled, remember there were 11 years before Tzidkia was exiled before the destruction of the base of Mikdash. So he gave a Nevuah that the exile would be there and that Yovo wouldn't exist anymore. He's saying, don't worry, you're not going to observe any Yovos because the base of Mikdash is going to be destroyed and you're going to be in exile. And that's what he's saying. The seller's not going to return to the sale because Yovo only applies um, there at the time that the Jews are living in Israel. So What's going on is that Efsha, he's telling them there's not going to be Yovo because the base of Mikdash is going to be destroyed. But Efsha Yovo Batov Nami Shavu Lov Shi Batov Yovo has already been suspended. So why is Yechazkel going to tell them that it's going to be suspended? So what does the Gemara mean? Halacha is that Yovo only applies when all the Jews are settled in Eretz Yisrael. So if the ten drives were not there, if the ten drives were exiled and they hadn't returned, 
then anyways, there wasn't going to be a Yovel. There wasn't a Yovel before as well. It sounds like Yechazkul is saying, because the Bishamikdash is now going to be destroyed, so that impending doom is going to make that there's not going to be Yovel. But if the ten tribes are not there in any, anyways, then obviously there's not going to be a Yovel. And so what we see from here is that Yirmiya must have returned the ten tribes. And uh, since he returned them, Therefore, there was a resume, there was some, uh, they were able to resume the observance of Yovel. And that's why Yechazkel had to say, but with the coming of the destruction of the temple, then Yovel was stopped. So we prove from here that Yirmiya was successful in his mission to bring back the ten tribes. And, um, and, 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 and that's why Yirmiya was not there. And uh, that's why they went to Chulan and Yod. Now, the truth is that in Sanhedrin, the Gemara talks about Machlokas Tanam if the ten tribes returned. There's some opinions that the ten tribes mostly did not return. So you have to say, we show him say that at least some of their members returned and they were able to start again the Yovel, but definitely not every single one of them returned and there are still some who are lost. Now, the Gemara talks about Yoshia and Amon Malachalem. After Yemi returned them, Yoshia ruled over them. He says, what is this marker? What is this marker? I see if you're all here, the people said, It's the kever of the man of God who came from Yehuda. And he, he proclaimed these things that you've done by, by base L. Now, just to understand here what's going on, Yoshi has tried to destroy all the all the idols. Now, in base L, in Samaria, was a place where there were a lot of a, a lot of idols. And Yoshi went and he burned the bones of everyone who had ever worshipped idols there. So that was like a very specific, like very strong actions which he took against Avodazar. It was a strong statement. Now, Mati will show Yosha on his way. So, what, why was he? Why would he be there? I mean, the Basel, which is in the Samaria, that's the place of the ten tribes. That's not the the region of uh, of, of the of Yehuda. He's a king of Yehuda, Yosha. What's he doing in Betel, which is a location of uh, the ten tribes? He must have he must have assumed control over them at the time. And others, it didn't go back once they were returned. The civil war did not continue with the tribes of. Israel fighting against the tribes of Yehuda. It was now that Yoshua ruled over them as well. The Gemara gives another proof from Nachman of It says, Also, Yehuda was always appointed for you when I returned the captivity of my people. So, this is a passage from Moshea, and here it's a reference to King Yoshua, and, and we're saying he's going to have strength. He's going to rule even over the ten tribes when they return from captivity. So, we see that they didn't go back to being ruled an autonomous rule of the ten tribes, but rather that Yoshua ruled over them. Now we move on to Esther. How do we know Esther was in a Yibayim Ashli, she was on the third day. This is about she's fasting and then she's about to go into the king. Esther Esther closed herself in royalty. So what does that mean? Big day Malchus, you don't wear royalty. Obviously, the Baltic should have said, it's missing a word, it should have said royal garments. She must have closed herself with Ruach HaKodesh. It says here, she, she wore, the spirit closed Amasai. Um, which is there, it's like a spirit of Nevuah. So, so to hear, we're saying that she was clothed with Nevuah at that time. Okay, now the Gemara continues. Amar Good control, like power is not good, it's not becoming for women. There were two women here who were very chashev, they were all these seven uh, prophets, but they have disgusting names. One of their names is a bee, Devorah's name is a bee, one's name is a weasel. Chulda. Chulda's very name means a weasel. So they have like disgusting names. Zibort, except about the it says that she sent and she called to Barak. Barak didn't go, she herself didn't go to him. The weasel says, tell the man, they tell the king. So what are we saying? We're saying that these very lowly names, and it should have inspired them to be more humble, but they didn't do so. We see that they weren't humble. We see that Devorah um, didn't personally go to Barak, and we see that. Uh, we see that Hulda didn't say tell the king. So we see in a way that having too much power and greatness is not becoming for women. 
Says the Gemara, we talk about where Chulda is from. Amar Nachman, Chulda ben Ekbanam Shal Yeshua. So Chulda was a descendant of Yeshua. Tzivah Chabdem Charchas. It says that by Chulda, the son from Charchas. So, um, so this is really more about Chulda's husband. It's a little unclear, but somehow it applies to her 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 ancestry as well. So we have Ben Charchas, Uksiv, Asam, Besimnas Charas. It says about Yeshua and Timnas Charas. So we connect these two words of Charas, the word Charas. There's some connection that she, therefore, is a descendant from Yeshua. Says the Gemara, is that true? It's very Rav Ina Sava, Rav Nachman. Rav Ina Sava asked Rav Nachman. It says in the Bryce of Shimon and Vimein Khan, Yasim Rachav Azona. There's a woman, Rachav Azona, Rachav, who was the innkeeper. It's a big question if she was literally a harlot. Um, but sometimes Zona just means she was an innkeeper. And this was at the time of Yehoshua, uh, the spies. Uh, Pinchas Kalev went to spy out what was going on uh, by Riho, and there was a whole story with her there. So she was righteous, she was good to them. And eight prophets who were calling and descended for Veluhain, Neria Barach, Mosriah, Machsiah, Yirmiah, Chilkiah, Hanam, Vashalom. These great people came from her. Review the Omar, Abchulda, Nevim, Nevan, Shurachav, Azona. And then review the As, even Chulda came from Rachav. Where do we see that? Ksiv ben Tikva, it says here about Chulda, the son of Tikva. Ksiv Hazim is Tikva, so Chodashan, he says by Rachav. They put out the sign that they were going to save her, um, save her house when, they, when the Jews were going to come and destroy the city. And they put up um, a cord of thread. So we see that word used there. So it's a reference to Rachav and it connects to, uh, to Chulda. So anyways, what do we see here? That Chulda is a descendant of Rachav. So Akhub of Nachman says she came from Yehoshua. We see that she comes from Rachav. So which one is it? Is it from Rachav or is it from Yehoshua? So the Gemara tells us Rachav and Yehoshua married each other. Amalei'ina Sava. He says, Eina the elder, Amela Pazba, Ochumai says, You black vessel. Black vessel is an interesting thing. It's like somebody is like, uh, you know, he's like saying, like, you're, you're humble. If we combine what I said, what you said, then we'll get the Pshat. What's the Pshat? She converted, and Yeshua married her after she converted. So now everything is correct. She descends from Yeshua and she descends from Rachel. Both of those points are true. But the Gemara challenges now is it true that Yeshua had children? Did Yeshua have children? None but Yeshua, his son, none, his son Yeshua. So it like stops with um Yoshua, uh, with Yeshua. The pasuk the very yamim, and it's saying it sounds like it stops that Yeshua didn't have any more children. So the Gemara says Benilo Havili didn't have any sons, but also Havili, but he in fact did have some daughters, and that's how it um, and that's how it makes sense that we could uh, that we could say that uh, that that she was that Yehuda was a descendant of both Yehoshua. And Rachav, because Yeshua and Rachav married each other, and from then they are daughters, and eventually Chudo was a descendant of them.